0: Well, some people like to dismiss slavery like it was nothing. But you see, slavery, it can never be forgotten. Some people not gonna like what we say, but me I gonna say it anyway. We are gonna talk about slavery and the effects of it today. Some people just don't want to know about 400 years ago. But the thing about slavery, it's affecting people now. I tell you no lie. Peace and welcome to the Abolitionist Daily A daily program that is a direct offshoot of the weekly new Abolitionist radio program Here also on the Black Talk Radio Network I'm your host, Johanna Nelaya Abolitionist, activist, actionist And I hope with this program, with our daily broadcast We're able to give you news and information and informed opinion, and invite you to share your opinions and your thoughts and your things you've learned about modern-day slavery, human trafficking, suffering, torture, the things that mark our nation as we are the world's leading incarcerator, with uh, only 5% of the planet's population, but over 25% of all the people on the planet who are incarcerated living within our borders. So as a start, if something like that is a, is a problem for you, if you see that there is an issue with us only having 5% of the people on the planet and 25% of all people incarcerated, then this is a good place for you to, to join up with the movement as we are looking to abolish modern day slavery, which is made possible through the 13th amendment, which states that Slavery and involuntary servitude is abolished except when a person can be convicted of a crime. So we tie in the hyper-criminalization and over-policing, which leads to the over-incarceration and abuse of, of the laws and the rampant law writing that goes on in this country and creating new laws and statutes and new ways for people to get convicted of crimes and everything from Ferguson to Guantanamo Bay to Wallace County of Texas to Wisconsin to Minnesota to all over the country. We, we report on stories all over this nation where the thing that we find in common is it's most often people of color. It's most often People of the lowest financial standing who have the least opportunity uh, or at least access to um, good, I guess you would call it good or competent legal representation, somebody to help them out when they find themselves caught in the snare, which is the exact opposite of people that have money who are able to pay their way out in most cases. And that'll be something we'll cover today as <clears throat> we revisit Ferguson, Missouri and in uh about midnight on uh March the twelfth they experienced a uh policing there two uh police officers right in front of the police station where they were uh aligned standing side by side with automatic rifles and full body armor and riot gear and what we've come to know of the police forces that are uh aligning themselves with Ferguson since the, uh, the murder of Michael Brown last August. Uh, we've seen you know their full array of military hardware that they have at their disposal to dispatch against nonviolent, peaceful protesters, people um, exerting their First Amendment rights, people trying to work within the systems that we have in place to create change, which ends their victimization we saw that in Ferguson they were happy to bring out the the uh, M wraps and the tanks and the tear gas and the snipers and the uh, all sorts of automatic weapons and zip ties and I mean you name it they had it out and they still have that stuff out for the most part in Ferguson and the people were uh, were dissipating from what I understand after a, an evening of of protest in front of the police department as the police chief had actually just announced his resignation. Uh, chief Tom Jackson had just announced his resignation on the 11th. And in the earliest morning hours of the 12th, two officers were shot, one in the face and one in the shoulder. And as I awoke, I had gone to sleep by the time it happened. But as I woke in the, in the early morning hours around four o'clock in the morning, I had received several messages alerting me to what had happened, and, immediately thought the worst and oh my god here we go you know if these people are killing the police there this thing is about to explode the nation is is about to to be on fire and then i find out the news is that it's some lone gunman over a football field away all the way down the block partially around a corner somewhere in the bushes with a pistol that shot one of the officers supposedly in the face, and the other in the shoulder. And before lunchtime yesterday, on the uh, on the twelfth, both officers were released from the hospital. And as more and more details continue to come out about what happened, it was more and more clear to me that this was yet another poorly planned out, poorly scripted propaganda attempt. From the other side, these guys may have been shot, but I'm not buying it. I'm not buying that it was some citizen that just went rogue and tried to kill cops from over 100 yards away with a pistol and, and hit two cops, one in the face, one in the shoulder. And, and and neither one of them was life-threatening, apparently. You can go to the hospital with the, with the flu and be kept overnight for observation. How do you get shot in the face and you leave before lunchtime? So this type of thing to me is... Situation where we're going to look at, at the possibility of false flag. We're going to look at the possibility of how we can tie this thing to what we saw in New York as they were facing, uh, they were facing a lot of bad news, a lot of bad press in New York there for uh, in the time, uh, right after Eric Garner's death. And we know what happened with the two officers that were killed there. So we'll recall some of the news that, that built up, uh, to the NYPD shootings there. And we'll kind of compare what we saw here in, uh, Ferguson and just see, because remind you, uh, we've been talking about on this program and on new abolitionist radio that there, this is a continuing, uh, criminal conspiracy. There's just no way around it. These people are being, are being named in unlawful practices and unconstitutional practices carried out against the citizens. The mayor himself, Mayor Knowles himself, said out of his own mouth that they were unlawful practices of a few. Unlawful means criminal. So as we're building up momentum and as the national narrative is, is hanging around this report from the DOJ and people are being named and people are being fired and folks are being allowed to resign and retire and disappear Without facing criminal charges. And then we turn around and we get the momentum. They attempt to remove the momentum from this type of a conversation as now we have to focus on the, the uh, the threat that these officers feel suddenly for their lives. They're afraid for their lives. And we've already seen the military hardware they bring out when there was no shots fired at them in the aftermath of Michael Death's, uh, Michael, Michael Brown's uh, death. So now we have to anticipate that they're just going to ratchet things up even more, but we can't be intimidated. We have the truth on our side. So we'll be talking about that at length. Um, obviously revisiting some aspects of the DOJ report. We're also going to talk about Florida. And we had told you a few weeks ago that, uh, Senator Greg Evers down there had, had been at hard at work on, um, bringing about change to the Florida Department of Corrections, a state that had uh, 300 and nearly 350 deaths of inmates in custody last year, 2014. Um, just an outrageous number, unbelievable number, hard to believe that that many people died in custody. And there's been quite a bit of fallout from the Office of the Inspector General uh, where their their employees are claiming that it's impossible to to uh, follow up on the criminality that's going on in the prisons as they've been uh, intimidated. Whistleblowers have been silenced. People have been removed from their jobs Uh, just on and on. There's been a lot of backlash from just trying to tell the truth down there. So uh, we had reported to you earlier how Greg Evers had come out and uh, told us that he was receiving emails and uh, regular letters in the mail from individuals who were saying they were willing to come down and testify to the, um, to the Senate committee that's overseeing all of this. And he promised that they would be allowed to come and speak and, and, uh, whatever it took basically to get them to come and speak under oath. And even the new, um, secretary of the FDOC down there, Julie Jones, she somewhat seemed to be in, in agreement with that and, and agreed that they should be able to come and, no one, no repercussions were going to, you know, result. No one was going to be in any kind of trouble if they wanted to come tell their story. So we'll give you an update on that because it's I mean, this for these things to be going on in parallel in the country at the same time. This would be enough to justify the United States getting with the U.N. and committing, uh, uh creating a, a what do they call it, a coalition of the willing as they go in and invade and bomb out entire nations for treating their citizens the way that we treat citizens here in America. So we're talking about free people in Ferguson and we're talking about incarcerated people in Florida. And that's enough where what they just more than what happened in Libya to justify going in and blowing that whole nation away. The tortures that we, we found over there, the, the abuse of the people that we found over there and justified killing their president and bombing their country. So, uh, these are just two stories going on in the U.S. And speaking of the U.N., we'll also be talking about a U.N. inspector, uh, well-known and respected special uh, reporter on uh, on torture, Juan Mendez, who is following in the footsteps of his predecessor, from also from the U.N. Uh, both of them have been uh, actively uh, advocating for admission to U.S. federal prisons to be able to report on, investigate and report on the torture that's going on in our prisons, as well as uh, look at for himself the estimated 80,000 people who are currently in solitary confinement, and to see for himself what's going on in Guantanamo Bay. But since 2004, when his predecessor had this office, and all through his uh time as, as special reporter, uh, they've been denied by the United States access to our prisons. So we're going on a, a 11 years of denying the United Nations, who we partner with, again, to go in and bomb people, to go in and create war, to create sanctions, to to dictate uh, foreign policy that we're not willing to uphold our own selves in our own country. Uh, so we'll report on on him as well. Um, we've got an update from uh, the uh, Immigration Customs Enforcement recently ran what they call a, a, an operation, a dragnet, to catch all these felons, all these immigrant felons, dangerous criminals that come over here seeking asylum and co- uh, contribute to our criminal ranks over here, and we just don't need that, so we're going to spend extra extra money going out and finding them and dragging them back out of this country because they're here illegally and they're criminals, and when we find out, they brought in over 2,000 people, and out of that 2,000, the number they had was somewhere around 900 felons or 400 felons and about 900 people that had misdemeanors which were some form or another of traffic violations and some DUIs. And the 400 felons were largely people that were became felons when they crossed our borders illegally. So it's not that these people came here as criminals. They became listed as felons once they crossed the border and did not have their visas uh, or paperwork properly intact when they arrived on American shores. So we'll look at that. There's some numbers in that report. Um, as usual, trying to paint the federal government in a, in a bright light as though they're deporting less people. And as we report on this program all the time, they're not deporting less people, just like the federal prison system is not, uh, dec- decarcerating. Um, in both cases, this is human trafficking that's going on. These people are being shifted and moved around. And if not deported, they're being detained. Um, so we'll look at all of that. We've got, uh, plenty of news today. Plenty of information to share with you. Um, our unexplainable black death uh, profile is a brother named Terrence Sher, who was in a police chase. In, uh the reason why I picked out his profile today is because, I mean, of course, his death was as a result of, you know, police action. And it's a sad situation. Um, he was running from the police. He had an accident. He's riding a motorcycle. He had an accident and was was killed in the accident as he was running away from the police. We don't know what crimes he had you know, supposedly committed. He was not convicted of anything. He wasn't a convict or a felon or any of those things. But the city where this went down, Benton Harbor in Michigan, is really another Ferguson. And that's the thing about such widespread corruption. That's the thing about America and How we have so much wrong and so many problems in our justice system, our court system, our police system, our jails and prison systems. There's just so many problems. You can connect stories to whatever the new news is of the day. There's old news that matches it. And this is an example of that. We'll talk about Benton Harbor Police if we have the time. Hopefully we'll have time to get into that because we've got so much information to share with you. So I would invite you most definitely to be ready to take some notes we're gonna move fairly quickly um i get the info i get the messages and i get the emails and i appreciate the listeners of this program very active and interactive people who um, let me know that the program makes a difference and is informing them and they appreciate it and i want to uh, definitely give them a shout out and say thank you for your continued support and listening Um, and in, in hearing that, it encourages me to be as informative as I can and move as quickly as I can through this information so we can get all of it out because we don't know tomorrow's not promised, but if we can reach somebody today who can hear us and can find out for themselves something that will change their own life, will change their own path, then, you know, that's really my objective here. So we'll move right on in, um, to talking about Florida or talking about uh, Ferguson, just unbelievable. Uh, as I said, we've had this last week uh, since the Department of Justice report came out. We've been, you know, discussing the the problems, you know, whatever in this in the city, and giving you specific numbers on statistics. Um, the uh, Department of Justice, United States. Department of Justice, United States being obviously one of the, or if not the leader of the free world, as we call ourselves, and, you know, there's no higher authority, honestly, on the planet right now than what the United States government declares. If we say it, then it's the truth. If we say it, and if we do it, then it's right. I mean, that's the narrative. That's what we see in every other capacity. But for some reason, when this report comes out, now all of a sudden, nobody believes in American justice. Now all of a sudden, America's a joke. America's a liar. Suddenly now, when a report comes out from the highest office of justice in the land, from the highest authorities that we have in these offices in the land, and their employees under oath, with their careers on the line, with their reputations on the line as professionals, They all spent months and months down there in Ferguson and investigated and went on the police ride-alongs and went into the meetings and sat in on the the hearings and and observed the court proceedings and read through 35,000-plus pages of emails and court proceedings and police reports and did the investigation. All these people that are giving opinions and, and are naysayers have not done that work. If they had done that work, then they are criminally liable for not having said anything to stop any of this so when these people do this work now it's all of a sudden it's worthless and we just need to just rip it up and throw it away and we're not going to be bullied by them and we're not going to listen to them and we're going to challenge them and now everybody wants to challenge the, the federal government now the same federal government that has been giving cities like ferguson millions of dollars in military hardware and in all sorts of government Funding that goes into their coffers and obviously doesn't benefit the people, so it's pretty top-heavy down there. So you weren't upset about the government and you didn't think the government was a lie when you were cashing those federal checks. So as I said, we talked about it, you know, in depth on this program. The just the ridiculous numbers, the testimony um, of the actual city managers, the former uh, city manager uh, John Shaw. The uh, now, will soon to be former police chief, Tom Jackson, the conversations they had about uh, not growing uh, the court fees by the anticipated amount of even 7.5% per year, they were looking at growing, but actually saying, you know, we can do better than that. Let's go for 10% a year. Let's keep pushing this thing and keep getting more money. And the... Tom Jackson agreed that they that sounds like something they should do. They can do that. And that's what they went about doing, as was made obvious by the report. The numbers that they put out are ridiculous. The personal testimony of individuals is ridiculous. People taking up to seven years to pay $150 fines for parking tickets. Being fined over and over again and getting more fees and more court dates and more warrants and more trouble put in their lap from one simple parking ticket is as the, as the uh, lady in the DOJ report, her uh, testimony. But there are several others. There's lawsuits actually going against Ferguson right now from people who are all a part of this same problem. There's a group of civil rights advocates right now suing the cities of Ferguson and Jennings, Jennings, Missouri, being where Darren Wilson worked before he went to Ferguson, where he was trained in policing, where he had went through the academy training and was a rookie on the, on the beat with a, with a training supervisor and learning the ins and outs and all of that. That's where he was, was in Jennings. But guess what? Jennings was disbanded because of several civil, civil rights violations, because of race relations issues, blatant racism. Debtors' prisons, running up the debt on the people, and running up the warrants on the people, harassing the people, beating the people, kidnapping the people, and they were able to disband that organization in 2011, and they're being sued now for unconstitutional incarceration and policing practices. They basically turned the jails into debtors' prisons. So all of this comes out, and we know that there have been several people who lost their jobs, gave up their jobs, or whatever. Like I said, city manager John Shaw, there for eight years, voted out by the city council seven to zero. And they approved his quote-unquote mutual separation agreement. And they fired municipal court clerk Mary Ann Twitty, who loved to be on Twitter and emails and sending out all this racist, just should make you want to gag. Aren't you tired of these racist people? Aren't you tired of these people that are so damned insecure and so damn petty and childish that they can't do their actual jobs? They have to look for a way to forward racist jokes and emails and call people disparaging racist names and send out pictures of people of color as monkeys and talk about aborting their babies to help lower the crime rates and aren't you tired of these people aren't you tired of being passive to them just walking around like you and me free to do and be who they want to be and what they always end up doing is victimizing other people they get in positions like this And they destroy entire communities. How many thousands and thousands of children? If you don't like the adults, then you know what? Screw it. If you don't have to like the adults, maybe the adults are just crap. I don't know. I'm not in Ferguson. Maybe every single one of those 27,000 black people that's there, maybe all the adults, are just bad and they deserve this. But the children... In a town of 27,000 people, the Missouri Attorney General's report said there was 15,000 people estimated that were over the age of 16 in the town. And that's the, that's the 15,000 uh, number pool that they pulled their report from on the uh, racial profiling of traffic stops. So if there's 27,000 people and there's 15,000 over 16, and these are just, could be rough estimates or what have you, but if there's roughly 15,000 over 16, and it's 27,000 in the town, then basic math says there's somewhere around eleven, twelve thousand 12,000 children in that town. If you just say to people over 16 and start driving, they could be could put in that lump of, of the people you don't like, and you're not going to like them no matter what. But the children destroying their future, destroying their peace of mind, destroying their community. ripping them off of chances to grow up in, an, in, a, in a clean, clear environment of, of no racism with a clean palette, no prejudice against other colors and ethnic groups and people's belief systems. So that's what you're robbing these children of when you're passive to these racists who run these cities and run these operations. People like a court clerk with the power of a judge, basically, as they were, as they said about her. Any black child she sees, she is not fit to be an overseer of someone's personal liberties. A decider of if someone gets fined, if someone goes to jail, if someone has another court date or gets a warrant issued. She's in no position to do such a thing, sending out pictures of our president as a monkey, sending out jokes in her email about black women getting abortions and getting a bonus from the crime stoppers organization for helping to lower the crime rates or whatever else she's joked about and talked about. You're not in a position to oversee the life of my children because my children have black skin. You don't know them or know anything about them, but as they're growing up now, as they get closer to where you can get your hands on them, obviously we know what you're going to do. And that's not right. So at least she was fired, as if she operated in a vacuum. All the people that worked for her should be out of there, too. How can you work with her? I wouldn't work with that. If I call wind of that, that's not a joke I'm getting ready to tolerate. We've got the EOC in place for a reason. Lawsuit. Let's file a complaint. It's torture. You're torturing me. You, you're discriminating against these people in my work environment like this every day. Mm-mm. Police Captain Rick Hinky, Sergeant William Mudd, resigned. Two more of them, racist, dirty bastards. And these are senior officials in the ranks. Captain Rick Hinky. This is a position of authority. An officer. Over the officers, Sergeant William Mudd, these are promoted individuals. And as the Department of Justice report says, it was a culture where people were promoted for producing. So when you've got 27,000 people, 15,000 or so are over 16, there's got to be at least a couple thousand that are 70, 80 years old and aren't even driving. So I, I would just estimate somewhere around 12 to 13,000 people who are drivers, all responsible for 35,000 warrants issued in one year. But all these people are just so incredulous and don't see where there's a problem. Municipal Court Judge Ronald Brockmeyer, himself somewhat of a criminal, if you believe the tax laws on the federal government, nearly $200,000. Someone who's known for fixing traffic tickets for white people, and for fellow white employees of the court and the police system, and for himself. He fixed his own red light ticket where he ran the red light. He got the ticket. He turned around and, and dismissed it. So this is what we're dealing with. And like I said, the people have already have lawsuits against these cities and against what's going on. And they've already told us about the, the torture they've been under. And we'll talk about all this stuff after the break. But I just want you to know before we start, go to the break. What we're about to discuss has to do with this police shooting. And you tell me as we start getting into the details here, can you really believe this? You're listening to The Abolitionist Daily. This is Johanna and Elia. This is the Black Talk Radio Network. We'll be right back. <laughs> Are tuned in to the black talk radio network for podcasts and live program scheduling visit us on the web at blacktalkradionetwork.com and we are back this is the abolitionist daily this is johan and Eliah, and you are listening to the black talk radio network we're talking about um among other things today, we're talking about Ferguson's false flag. I'm just going to be the person that comes out and calls it that and talks about it like that and put the burden of proof on somebody to show me that it's not. Uh The number is 712-775-7035. The access code is 367526-POUND. Hit star six and then one, and you will be on the line, and we will be happy to take all comers. Lovers, haters, friends, foes, whatever, because this is, we, we've got to have these conversations. We just have to. We have to have these conversations. Whether you agree or you, or you don't, if you think I'm out of line for calling it a false flag and you want to come and tell me all about how these people deserve to go home, well, guess what? They went home by lunchtime. Who the hell got shot in the face any time in history and spent less than 12 hours at a hospital? I've never even heard of anything like that. I just, I I don't know. It, it, It shocked me. And to see the news coverage that I watched yesterday, across the cable news networks, the main informers, misinformers, of the general population, my jaw was on the ground for most of the day. I'm sure my blood pressure was up for most of the day yesterday is I just took it in, and I watched the news. And and Typically, I don't watch a lot of news, but I was out. I had some errands I had to run. I was out and about. I was in some different environments than I'm usually in during the day, so I wasn't able to be online and look through the news sources that I trust and uh, get details of information so I can really get what I consider to be the truth and good facts about what's going on. I was kind of in a position where I almost had to watch what was on TV to even keep up with what was going on, and I saw these interviews – uh, CNN completely out of line. Shame on CNN interviewing Darren Wilson's attorney to talk about the police being shot. Don Lemon, damn you! You supposed to be a black man standing here, but I guess a lot of these black folks don't. They don't. They don't see race. They don't realize that you know. There's, they don't accept that. So if they don't accept it, then it's not real. You standing here with this man. And if it was a black man, he would have been labeled as being angry and high strung and and just belligerent because this guy's standing here with the hand gestures and he's leaning in and he's rate you know ranting into the microphone spitting fire. About how this is the, you know, the Department of Justice fault and I'll poke holes in that report. You give me an hour with that report and I'll tear it to shreds. This Justice Department is incompetent and in, I mean, calling people out, calling people's professionalism into question, calling people's integrity into question, saying that the report is lies upon top of lies upon top of lies. Bringing up people like Jeffrey Rorta, a straight up disgraced, crooked cop. Jeffrey Rorta is one of the most corrupt sons of, one of the most corrupt people operating in government of Missouri you're going to find. He was fired from being a cop twice for lying on reports for lying on other officers, for lying about evidence. He's become a a union representative and lied to protect the police when they were caught on film abusing people, torturing people. Since he's been elected into a legislative position in the Missouri uh, Congress, he's sponsored bills that would make it so that police could not even be named Unless criminal charges were successfully filed against them. So you could just go around and just kill citizens. And unless you can be indicted by the grand jury, well, we don't need to know who who did it. That's it's, that's for their protection. They know they need to be protected from the possible backlash of the public after they've killed members of the public. This is the kind of piece of crap that you've got on the news. Telling people what's up about the situation. And these people were not just sound bites. I watched several segments throughout the course of the day on into the evening. And these people were continually brought back on camera for what had to be forty-five to sixty minutes total time in five to seven-minute segments of speaking freely with no in, no interruption. Not being introduced themselves as criminals, Jeffrey Rota was was on the committee that literally started the GoFundMe account that raised hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars for Darren Wilson. How in the hell is he some kind of an impartial or well-informed person worth being on CNN all day long telling people what's really going on with these two cops being shot? Seriously? Seriously? But this is what we tolerate. Fox News, of course, I mean, we're taught to not expect much out of them. But they had a, a Missouri a representative, uh city councilman, I believe, uh, John Muhammad, come out. And he was very candid about what he thinks happened. A man asked him, what do you think happened here? He said, I, th- I think it was a false flag. I think the police are behind it somehow. And they lambasted him, called him crazy. They posted a video from Fox News Network itself calling an elected city official a whack job. Because this is opinion of what's going on. He lives there. He can see it. He knows what's happening in the city. He represents the people who voted for him. This is his opinion of what's going on. you got to respect the man's opinion. And the reason I say you got to respect his opinions is because this is a narrative that we've seen at other times in this country. Things get a little tough at home. Things get a little rough around the edges. We start having some issues that have to be faced. Suddenly some horrible atrocity occurs and America's attention is deflected. I know that I'm not talking to some big monolithic group of ignorant people who just don't see this. This is the mode of operation that is always carried out. Right when we're about to get into the investigation, right when we're about to have criminality substantiated and discussed and pursued, and people are about to start getting in some serious trouble, because see, you and me, we can face serious trouble just by walking out to the mailbox. We could be in serious trouble. Some slave catcher revenue generator can roll right up and say, Hey, stop right there. What? What I do? You turn around. What, what am I getting? What are you doing? You put your hands behind, shut up. If you don't turn around and put your hands behind, if you don't get on the ground, if you don't do whatever they want you to do, you can be beaten, shackled, shot. It'll be a one sided affair like the Michael Brown. You can be murdered. I'm not hyping something up. This happens all over the country all the time. Who was the, the Indian brother? Went to visit his son. His son is a, was a PhD candidate. The name, the city uh, uh, flees my mind as I'm trying to talk about it, but he's visiting his son who's in, a PhD candidate. He's in school full time, working best he can, taking care of his family. His wife had a child and I believe the child was, the baby was maybe ill or the wife was maybe ill. One of the other was having some troubles, and the and the son was you know dealing with it best he could, but he was going to quit school and uh try you know do more to take care of his family and The father told him, "No, you finished school that's the most important thing and the father came over and he's an older man sixty seven years old, and he comes over to America, comes you know to live with the family till the son can finish and this is you know this is what people do is take care of each other and he steps outside of his son's house in this obviously white suburb. And there's an anonymous 911 call like Tamir Rice, an anonymous 911 call like John Crawford. Cops get a call today. There's a black man walking around. He looks suspicious. I don't know if he's committing any crime, but but he's out here. Cops roll up in a heartbeat. Tell him to get on the ground, the man <laughs> hasn't done anything. He doesn't even speak English for one. He hasn't done anything. He says I'm at my son's house is about as best he could say. He says something really, you know, innocuous, just you know, I'm I'm what? I haven't done anything. Whatever he can speak English, we not very much. Cop sweeps the leg, choke slams the guy, breaks some vertebrae in his back, paralyzes him, still handcuffs him, throws him in the wagon. I mean, what the hell? That story's kind of gone. Haven't heard much about that. But I wanted to parallel this situation with Ferguson. And we'll continue to talk about what they're doing there as well. And we'll, we'll talk about Judge Brockmeyer, who owes the U.S. government $172,646 in back taxes he hasn't paid. And who saw no conflict of interest. And also being a private attorney, a prosecutor in, in two nearby cities to Ferguson, while also being a judge. No no conflict of interest there in prosecuting people and you're also a judge and driving up revenues for your city that you sit as a judge. Nothing at all. No conflict there. We'll talk about, like I said, how he fixed tickets for for white people and for his friends. And I say white people specifically because it was specifically white people. I'm not trying to make it a race situation. He made it a race situation. He made a living for a decade or more of sitting on that bench and driving as many people of color as he could to the poorhouse. And if we go with his narrative, and if we go with the narrative of all these naysayers that are, hey, if you don't want to be in the, don't commit crime, hey, don't speed, don't park illegally don't don't have an outturn signal to justify them stopping you, don't have a a cracked tail light, don't be driving on tires that the cop can see while they're rolling, that the tread is too thin and and uh he needs to stop and check you out. All these other frivolous, ridiculous claims that even initiated stops. And once this stop is initiated, it's over. It's going to be, you're going to end up owing the city thousands of dollars. You're going to end up going to jail. You're going to be going to court for dozens of times over five, six, seven, eight, ten years. He was fine with that. But when it was white people that he knew, when it was white cops, when it was himself a white man who was breaking the law, he literally went and fixed that. So I didn't introduce race to this narrative. If you can't see that, what I just explained, then I don't want you listening to me anyway. We're never going to agree with, on the, with each other on the reality of the truth. Taking care of speeding tickets for white police officers whose job is dictated by the city manager's and carried out by the chief of police was to drive up revenues and then we see the report says 90% this, 93% that, 95% this, black, 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 black. I think you see where I'm getting at here. I'm pretty sure it's clear. But what about New York? And after Eric Garner, choke out video, After we find out in in, 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 uh, the wake of his death that Daniel Penatello had several complaints and suits against him for strip searching people in the street, literally stripping people down to nakedness in the street to search them, people of color. Eric Garner himself saying he had been searched, molested, felt up, and even had had money stolen from him by the cops. These things were somewhat covered up. They were reported on, but then nothing came of it. Nothing was said, and he got away with choking the man out. And even though they said it was a homicide, even though they said it was an illegal chokehold, there's no criminality found there. And then as it continues to spiral out, we reported on New Abolitionist Radio, the Yonkers police, Detective Christian Koch, Officer Neil Vera, falsifying reports, running illegal investigations. See, this is all criminality. I'm not talking about your feelings. I'm not talking about people's feelings being hurt. I'm not talking about policy and some need for training. I don't want to hear that crap. There's no need for training. You know the law, and you broke the law. These people broke the law. It's not just misconduct against the, the department. It's not just breaking the standards of the department and hurting people's feelings. It's criminality. It is illegal. It's a felony to falsify police reports for a reason. It's not a enforce it as you choose. Then you would never choose to because the only person that could falsify a police report is a damn policeman. Let me get my hands on a police report. I'm in violation of the law for having one. Just go in and grab a police report off the cop's desk and type away. It could be a true testimony of what I've seen. Wouldn't matter. It, it holds no weight, and I'd likely be pros, uh, charged some kind of way for having the document in the first place because I'm not a sworn officer of the law. It is not my duty to uphold the law, to enforce the law for a salary paid by the taxpayers. That's not my position. So why would I have a report? So the only person that could be found guilty of the felony of falsifying police reports is cops, and we don't see that happening. The perfect case of these guys, the Yonkers cops I'm talking about, Christian Koch, Neil Vera, falsified reports, So they could justify kicking in the door and going in and raiding this guy's apartment, Dario Tina. And there was some history between them, obviously. I mean, this this is the same story over and over again. Cops don't get somebody on something they try to get them on. The cops don't get it their way. The cops go back in and turn things around so they can get their way. And people end up dead. People end up falsely uh, incarcerated, beaten, and tortured. And maybe they get exonerated after 20, 30 years. Dario Tina didn't make it out of that raid. They illegally raided where he was at with an illegal warrant that was obtained by illegal police documents that they filed. They went in, kicked in the door, and as they went flying in the front door, Dario Tina went flying out the back window, 40 feet in the air. Landed on his face. He was dead. So they got him. And this is what's going on. These are the stories that the people in New York were dealing with and so many more. Akai Gurley. You, you can't get much more screwed up than this. I honestly believe open war would be easier to tolerate and stomach because then both sides at least would have some war reports and some some death reports to give. See, right now, it's supposed to be peace and law and order, and we're dying. We're the ones getting beat the hell out of us. We're the ones that getting disappeared to secret black sites, Chicago, Homan Square. We're the ones getting disappeared to plantation prisons and locked in jails, Rikers Island for three years, Khalif Browder, No charges ever even brought. Antonio Yarbrough, his brother Sharif, we talked about on New Abolitionist Radio, Riders of the Underground Railroad, 21st century. Brother comes in at 15 years old, comes in after school, finds his mother dead. Sister, dead. Her, Her best friend visiting the house, dead. Stabbed up, heads uh extension cords wrapped around his throats, choked to death, dead. He called the police, they come, they asked him to come down to the station and, and give him his testimony of what he saw, and he never went back home for twenty-two years. Not a drop of blood on him, no motive ever proven, no weapon ever found, no nothing connected him to it. He walked in and couldn't even mourn his mother the same day he went to jail. He went to Rikers for a couple years and ended up in Attica. and witnessed the same brutality as what we talked about with Brother George Williams, where those three Attica guards beat him damn near to death, broke his leg so bad they had to put a steel plate to reattach the bone, six screws, both legs broken, broken shoulder, broken eye socket, broken ribs, destroyed sinus system. Forever he'll have leaking eyes and and his nose running. You can't put together the internal of his skull that was destroyed. Facing felony charges for their misconduct, prosecuted under supposedly, charged and prosecuted supposedly under the under gang statutes, designed to prosecute bloods and crips and Latin kings and that's what they put that in place for. And they charged those guards with the same statutes. Then they also filed illegal reports. Their reports were lies. They completely lied about what happened. And as soon as they're facing felony charges, 8 to 25 years, magically, somehow as the jury pool was being selected. They came up with some kind of leverage and went to the prosecutor and said, you know what, how about you give us a deal? Instead of taking this 8 to 25, we want misdemeanors and just uh, we'll, we'll just quit. And then you just don't send us to prison and just let this all go. Somehow they came up with some leverage, and all three of them walked. This is what's going on in New York. And then, magically one day, while operating, while uh, sitting parked in in an area that was actually being used for a police drill, some kind of Homeland Security drill, two on-duty officers sitting side by side, or approached by some mad black man who had already killed someone a couple states over. And the uh, police put out a report, an APB, and a facial, and everything else to let everybody know this madman killer is on the loose. And he made his way to New York City and made his way to this exact street in the middle of this police drill and found these two sitting totally unaware next to each other, not noticing any strange anything going on around them. And filled him full of holes and then walked away and took a picture of himself standing at the subway and then killed himself. And the story goes away. And what happens as a result of that is we get to meet Pat Lynch. And we get to hear from the from the unions. And it's a lot like Ferguson. We get to hear from Jeff Rurda, who most of you have never heard of. But since we've been investigating this and we know who he is, what a criminal he is, we can shut him down before he starts his crap. We get to hear from Pat Lynch in New York though about how the police are threatened all the time. The police are fearing for their lives and how dare he again he picked apart Eric Holder. How dare Eric Holder's a coward? How dare Eric Holder? Obama. Yeah. These people never have any type of a of a thought out complaint. They never have any fact based, statistics based, science based opinion. They're always some kind of freaking caveman barbarian piece of crap that just comes out, blah, spitting all over the microphone, waving at caveman club, having a tantrum. And apparently there's a lot of people that like that, that feel like that and feel like that represents them because the entire national narrative just goes right away from the truth and the facts and the criminality of these people. And becomes all about feels all of a sudden. It's about the feels. We got a feel that we, the police are in danger. And I feel like it's Obama's fault. And I feel like Eric, Eric, uh, Holder, these black people that they they, they made racism bad in America again. These people made the police scared for their lives and we're not going to do our jobs now. And the police quit freaking terrorizing the people, crime continued to go down. But then when that $10 million a week, oh, it's like Ferguson. When that money dried up, you better get back to work. We got all these courts and judges and prosecutors and bailiffs and bail bondsmen and You start finding out, just like we talk about with the private prisons, when you start looking at the money, you start finding out who's really perpetrating the crimes. And they had to get back to work because that money the city was losing from all these poor people of color that they just throw up against the wall and see who will stick. Because all of them got to have some kind of change in their pocket. They got to have some kind of way they can we can get something out of them. And if they don't, we'll just put them in jail and, if you know, we can get money off of them from slavery. That's the mentality. That's the way they're treating people. So like I said, this is all what was going on in New York plus more. And we saw the police get shot. And then we saw the union come out and we saw the narrative change to a whole different thing. We've got to stop the protests now. Blue lives matter. See, before that, it was I can't breathe T-shirts and with smiling faces, cops are taking that like, it's funny. Teachers unions are wearing shirts that are in support of cop killers, killer cops. All sorts of racists are coming out the woodwork, supporting this. But you don't hear about their part in any of this thing. After the shots are fired. Whether they're real shots or not. You don't hear about their part any. It. It's all Eric Holder's fault. It's all Obama's fault. So again, back to Ferguson with the judge running a debtors' prison. So at least he did resign finally. But look how long he was able to operate. Look how many lives he was able to destroy. When you can name these things as being unlawful, that means it's criminal. I don't care if I get caught up, God forbid I go to court, charged with unlawful anything, that means it's criminal. And the state of my freedom inside or outside of a jail cell is at stake. It's as simple as that. This is not new news. This is not rocket science, as they say. This is not some revelation. Unlawful behavior warrants criminal prosecution in America for poor people, definitely for non-whites, for sure. Most often, blacks and more and more all the time, Latinos. It's just that simple. It don't shake out no different than that. You can put it back in and shake it out again. It's going to come out the same pieces to the puzzle. When you put them together, it's going to be the same picture. See, that's the thing. We put the pieces of the puzzle together. You can sit up here and pick out the ones you don't want to see. But when the puzzle gets put together, it's just going to be a missing spot of what you didn't want us to see. But we're still going to know what should go there. Because we put together enough pieces to the puzzle where any fool can see clearly what is being represented by our justice system, our court system, our police system, our prison systems. This is not some mystery, people. It is just not a mystery. And it's not going to stop here until we start facing it for real and with truth. It's just not going to stop. It's not going to go away. We're not going to vote it out. We're not going to graduate next year's class of 2015 college students and high school students, and it's going to magically change because we've put more adults into the system now who are going to do the right thing. If we don't do the right thing, nobody's going to do the right thing. If we don't demand criminal charges, who do you expect is going to? if we know the truth of these situations, if we see the facts of these situations and we allow Jeffrey Rurda to spend all day long campaigning on CNN and we don't send back a counter, we don't send back a rebuttal, we don't disparage them, we don't tear them apart for doing such a thing. They're going to keep doing it and he's going to keep talking and the narrative is going to continue to be distracted from the real situation of Ferguson, of New York City, of Benton Harbor, hell of the 50 other cities in Missouri I told you about the other day that are even worse than Ferguson. It's just going to keep on happening. You're listening to the Abolitionist Daily. This is Johan and Eliya. We're going to take a break and we'll be back after this. This is Brother Elliot. First of time for an awakening and you're listening to Black Talk Radio Network, new media for the new millennium. Okay, we are back. This is the Abolitionist Daily. This is Johanna Nelaya. This is the Black Talk Radio Network. The number is 712-775-7035. The access code is 367526, pound. You hit star six and then one, and you will be on the air with us. Hopefully, we'll get some people that have an opinion on this or have heard about these things themselves or want to uh, ask some questions about this because we need to take whatever opportunities we can get to become educated and informed and make right decisions. And what we're talking about before the break was the situation in Ferguson with the police shooting. I mean, it's proven it's not, it's not a mystery. The best way to put an end to effective peaceful protest is to somehow put violence in the mix. It worked in New York. They wanted to work in Ferguson. So that's what we've been talking about and just naming some of the names of the corrupt who you need to be watching out for when you see them as chosen talking heads. These are people that are proven to be criminals. Like I said, Jeffrey Rorder, he's he's off the chain. He's horrible. Did you know there's about 10% of the Ferguson Police Department who's already being sued? before Michael Brown was ever even killed. 10% of the police department's officers are already being sued before Michael Brown was even killed. And in all of those cases, the officers were always cleared of any wrongdoing. None of them were criminally charged. Even across the nation, we see when people are outright killed by police, and I'm not just talking about black people. it's a pretty even pretty even thing I mean it's uneven because blacks are you know twelve to thirteen percent of the population and still represent about the same numbers of that are reported anyway because we know that it's not anything that these off these municipalities or jurisdictions are reporting as directed by federal law. They're not following the law and reporting as they're supposed to. But of the reporting agencies, blacks being killed by police is typically right there on par with whites, even though blacks are only 12 to 13 percent of the population. So it is rather uneven from that, you know, a per capita perspective, a, a, a demographic perspective. But the fact of the matter is, is that they seem to kill pretty much indiscriminately and what we were talking about before the break was uh how all of this is pretty much glossed over when you inject this type of violence into the situation when you see uh this type of thing going on where police are are violently attacked then that's what we start hearing you know as the conversation that's what people start talking about is the police are being violently attacked and then people stop talking about the people who have been violently attacked for years, as a part of a system affecting themselves and their children and our future generations, and it's just never seems to end. And when we get a chance to end it, when we get a chance to step things up, because see, on the new abolitionist radio program Wednesday before the shooting, we had a blowout conversation over two, two and a half hours, powerful discussion. Ratcheting things up, getting more and more specific and more and more clear and distilling down well thought out ideas having to do with, as we talked about on the program, what these people are involved in actually qualifies for violation of the RICO Act. There's really no way around it. Racketeer influenced and corrupt organizations act commonly referred to as rico act or simply rico is a united states federal law that provides for extended criminal penalties and a civil cause of action for acts performed as an ongoing criminal organization when the department of justice comes in and substantiates not just accuses not just speculates see that's what i heard the mayor saying mayor knowles Was had his panties in a bunch and got real strong coming out on TV saying how Eric Holder was in the wrong because he had already condemned them. Talking about Ferguson. Before he ever even left the first time he came to Ferguson. Eric Holder has to be a terrible poker player because he tells his hand before it's dealt. He came out and said that he was going to come after Ferguson Police Department within a couple of days of the shooting. They actually announced the investigation the same day I did my exit interview with them, he recalled. They told me it would be at least a week. Eric Holder had made the announcement before I got home from that interview with the DOJ. He made up his mind he was going to come after us. So he's on the offensive now saying, well, we're not going to back down. We're not going to let them come in here and do this to us. All they're doing is shining light on your operation. That's all they're doing. There's no false allegations to be found in this report. They are giving you direct testimony of witnesses and victims. They are giving you people's emails. They're giving you people's faxes and people's web history searches and people's pictures and Twitters and social media and people's conversations and the meeting notes, the city council meeting uh, minutes. In people's words, what they said in quotes, they're giving you specific statistics, science, numbers of people stopped, numbers of people this, numbers of people with contraband, numbers of people with issues, with warrants issued, numbers of people with this and that and the other. He's not, there's nobody, come on man. Nobody's picking on these people. This is a matters of fact. His testimony is there's no way that we're going to hold Darren Wilson to the standard of federal civil rights violations, Noel said. A day after two Ferguson police officers were shot during more nighttime mayhem in the city. More nighttime mayhem. The nighttime mayhem has been from the police. How about you just put it like that? it has been no nighttime mayhem from the people. Nothing has been proven. I'm pretty sure if they could get uh, people on, on uh, looting and arson and destroying property and doing if they why haven't they, where are they at i know they would love to, to throw their mugshots shots up and show us these these people that have been and then put them through court and give them a trial and follow the judicial process and let's see who was destroying the city can you prove it because see the report coming out against you is proving it yeah you got away with the michael brown killing because one of the witnesses is dead And his friend that was there with him, he had a warrant of some sort. He had some kind of a little lightweight criminal something he was afraid to get in trouble for. And he was there. He had he said right off the bat that Mike Brown had handed him the cigars. So then he's part to this petty larceny. So, I mean, I'm sure that this young, unlearned child had no clue how to defend himself against these big, bad people that were coming after him because this is a major situation. They would go to no stops. To make sure he followed the narrative and didn't say too much. Then he disappeared from the public eye after he did say too much to begin with. Then his story changed and he disappeared. And the, uh, the two white utility workers that were by their truck watching the whole thing with the actual camera footage of where they were standing from the incident, they had a clear shot standing behind their truck looking right at it. Their testimony kind of went away. How about the grand jury members that are suing? the prosecutor for the lifetime gag order that they were tricked into signing for the evidence that they were lied to about for the laws they were told they had to follow that didn't even apply does that seem like justice to you or is it just don't matter because of I the mean, bottom line that darren wilson did what he had to do and that black kid was the th- you know are, are we are, are we dealing with this because if we're dealing with that we're never going to get to the truth we're just going to keep on appeasing your racist feelings. We're just going to keep on appealing to someone's empathy who does not have the capacity in their brain to feel empathy towards someone who is not exactly looking like them in skin color, which is a scientific fact again been proven. So see, when you follow science and you follow the facts, things begin to add up and you don't have to walk around in the world like a little baby crap in your diaper and confused about where's mama and you don't have a clue about life you just go to a job and you just don't know nothing but I just sure do know that these black people you don't have to believe this weird old mayor, Knowles who tries to get tough and talk to the top cop in the country. See that's what you gotta remember when you wanna talk about your Ferguson cops Sister City to uh, Jennings cops already been put out of business. You're talking about the top cop when you're talking about Eric Holder. That's what you need to respect. You're not talking to one of your employees. You're not talking to some schlub making a uniform look like crap walking around beer belly and billy club in hand. You're talking to the top law enforcement officer in this nation when you try to disparage the reputation of Attorney General Eric Holder. No, I'm not necessarily a fan. I know of his faults or what have you, of what he's actually done. But I also know what this report says. So, I mean, it is what it is, people, but it's going to become whatever we choose to make of it. It's just that I can't say it any more simple than that. Whatever we choose to make of it is what it's going to become. So it's going to be up to you. I'll put these links up. You can look at the information. You can figure it out. I'm really going to try to stay away from the conspiracy theories. and and try. You know, this is my only time I'm really going to talk about Ferguson and call this thing a false flag was today. I just wanted to give this time to discuss my feelings about it and the information I have and contribute to the narrative as best I could along these lines. I want to call out the people that I see that are lying on news, on cable news and being interviewed repeatedly and asked their opinions, and their opinions are completely off, out of line, completely false, lies, and they themselves are people that have been proven professionally and personally to have no credibility, to be failures at the jobs that they've done, to be liars, to be racists, so that's what my intent was to do. OK, you want to you want to kick back at the, at the truth with your own narrative. Well, then I'm going to kick back at your narrative with the truth. And being on the side of the truth, I'm going to come out every time. With the real power and the real righteousness on my side and your lies are not going to do anything. And I'm going to tell the people the truth. So that was my only intention of bringing that out today. We're going to move on. Because it it just it doesn't do anything for my blood pressure to continue to rant about these people and stuff that they do that they're never going to stop doing. We have to get involved if we want this to stop because they don't know how to do anything else. If they were smart enough to use their God-given gifts and talents and their intelligence to promote the public good, to uplift the people, then they would be doing it. But clearly they don't have that kind of intellect. They don't have that type of inclination within themselves. They don't have the good sense to elevate anything. That should be clear to you. Whatever these people get involved in equals some sort of death, some sort of torture, pain, people suffering. They've proven it. That's what they're about. That's what they do. So we're going to move on. So we were talking about Florida. Uh, Just a couple of weeks ago, uh, Senate Committee Chairman Greg Evers, who had spoken about giving an opportunity to Florida Department of Corrections employees to come in and speak to him under oath about what they've been seeing in the prison system, because he's done a series of surprise visits, and I'm sure the first several were indeed surprises. I'm pretty sure he was able to get away with it at least a couple times where he just, you know, said he was going down one road and just suddenly made a turn and Went on down to the prison and walked up to the front door and whoa, we gotta let this guy in. But I'm pretty sure by the time he got to like visit nine, ten, eleven, twelve, on up in there, that somebody was cleaning up the <laughs> cleaning up the cat house before he was able to to arrive on site. But all the same, he was able to see enough corruption and enough uh to convince him of what people like our brother George Mallinckrodt, um, former psychotherapist at Dade Correctional um, witnessed to uh, torture and even uh, the aftermath of murder himself before he was fired for trying to blow the whistle and trying to tell him and trying to pursue criminal charges and everything else against these people. He was let go. So he's one that definitely qualifies as someone and he's been down there to testify in Tallahassee in front of the committee. Um, And thousands and thousands of others, you know, the families of these people who have loved ones incarcerated and uh, being tortured, being murdered. And these people are down here fighting for their lives. They're fighting for their freedom. They're fighting for this corruption to end in Florida. And so finally, the employees came to Tallahassee to speak. And this is a story from Miami Herald, uh, packed full of information, so I'll try to make it quick. In a blistering condemnation of Florida's prison system, several current and former prison inspectors told state lawmakers that they were repeatedly ordered to ignore evidence of crimes committed by corrupt officials because doing so would give the Department of Corrections a black eye. Now, I know you just heard what I just read. Ignore evidence of crime. Where is it going to end? See, I'm not the one with squeezing, you know, your pressure point and making you ball up in pain as you, as you hear these things and you realize this is where you live and this is what's going on. I don't have my, my thumb on you. It's not me. I'm feeling the pain too, but when is it going to end? Who, how can we stop it? It's three inspectors and one former inspector speaking publicly for the first time testified under oath about in, uh, interference by unnamed agency officials as they attempted to weed out inmate abuse, medical neglect, gang violence, and organized crime. In testimony before the Senate Criminal Justice Committee, the inspectors cited cases where they were told to withhold information from prosecutors, to close investigations into staffers who were politically connected, and to avoid bringing criminal charges no matter how much evidence they had. Let me read it again. Because I'm reading it and I know it and I've been studying it and i talk talked to the people that are involved in investigating it and bringing it to light and all of this. And it still is a lot for me to take as I read it. Three inspectors and one former inspector. Why do you suspect that that inspector is a former inspector? One of the ones that didn't get the memo, that didn't accept, stop investigating. And he kept on till he's no longer an inspector speaking publicly for the first time, testified under oath. So see, it's not just frivolous claims. It's not just coming in and saying something because you're pissed off, you got fired. It's not just coming in and making allegations against the State Department of Corrections and people who are officials and employees and administrators of the system of law and justice in the state, otherwise in good standing with good reputations and excellent careers intact it's not just coming in and just sounding off like some fool it's coming in and speaking under oath where you yourself can be uh, prosecuted if you're caught lying so let's understand the weight and the sacrifice of these individuals who are doing this because when i say who's going to do it these are some of the people that are that are trying to do it and what we need to be doing is joining in solidarity with these types of individuals And at least, if nothing else, if we don't do anything else, at least letting them know with our own public sentiment that we've got their backs and we encourage this and we want the process to work, the legal process, we want it to work. We want to start with the information. We have to get the information and then we want to work through the information and find a resolution, find the truth and do what's right. That's what we're trying to do, and we can't do that in any capacity if we don't have the information. So we thank you, three inspectors and one former inspector, for speaking out publicly under oath about this interference from these unnamed agency officials who were stopping you while you were attempting to weed out inmate abuse, medical neglect, gang violence, and organized crime. We thank you for that. We thank you for coming out and under oath speaking in front of the Senate Criminal Justice Committee and telling inspectors about the cases that you saw where you were told to withhold information from prosecutors and told to close investigations in the staffers who were politically connected And told to avoid bringing any criminal charges, no matter how much evidence you have. We thank you for standing up and doing the best you could with the right. So without you, we wouldn't have any of this. And it'd just be a bunch of Darren Rainey's. And a bunch of Randall Jordan Aparo's. And a whole bunch of other. Because they had three hundred and fifty. Died in custody in 2014. So it'd just be a whole lot of dead people in custody and it'd be nothing anybody could say or do. And we wouldn't be able to do anything about it, but sit on here on, on Black Talk radio network and whoever else is out here saying something. But on the law, there wouldn't be a whole lot that would be happening. So we thank you for your sacrifice. See, that's how you do it. That's as easy as it is to just tell the people thank you and to publicize the information yourself. Cause we got to stop this. He says, we're at a point where we can no longer police ourselves, says John Ohm, a veteran law enforcement officer who works in the inspector general's office. Ohm and others reported that after being told to back off cases, they sometimes pursued them anyway because the misconduct was just so blatant they couldn't ignore it. Afterward, they said they were threatened or retaliated against by their bosses, also in the inspector general's office which is led by Jeffrey Beasley, who has already testified in front of the Senate Criminal Justice Committee. He told him there wasn't nothing wrong. Ohm's lawyer, for example, has said that Olm was briefly ordered to clean out his office in September, four days after the Miami Herald published a story about how he and a group of other veteran DOC investigators had uncovered possible criminal wrongdoing and a cover-up in the death of Randall Jordan Aparo, 27-year-old prisoner who was found dead after being repeatedly gassed by guards in an isolation cell at Franklin Correctional Institution in 2010. See, do you understand that this is years and years of people being dead? This man died in 2010. There is no way to consider what happened to him to be anything other than straight-up homicide. It's not criminal negligence. They didn't just ignore him till he died. It's not manslaughter. It's not an accident. It's not anything other than straight up murder. When you have someone cowering with their back turned to you in a fetal position, crying and screaming for their lives, begging, and you have guards, plural, standing, emptying entire canisters of chemical mace, all over the person's body, coating them in the mace, coating the wall in their cell with the mace and the bunk that they're laying on. And when their dead body is rolled off the bunk and hauled away, the mace is dried in a coating nearly a half inch thick. And you can see a clear outline of the white wall where the body had previously been. See, that's murder. And it doesn't take five years to determine that the inspectors found evidence that corrections officers and others had submitted fabricated reports. Here we are again with these lying ass with these lying reports. This is criminal. We've got a system in place. You can't keep lying on these reports. I don't care what this guy did in his particular case. Randall Jordan DePauro was in there for some type of check fraud. You don't get death penalty for writing bad checks or for stealing somebody's check or for whatever he did. You don't get the death penalty for that. And uh in case you didn't know, corrections officers are not judge, jury, and executioner. So they don't get to carry out any kind of death sentence that they see fit because they don't like someone. Randall Jordan Aparo had a rare blood disease. He did have a serious condition. He really was in pain. He really was trying to get medical help from the prison. It wasn't a game. It wasn't some, you know, whatever crazy situation that they just didn't have to pay attention. He really did have a situation. He was bleeding. Maybe you don't care about his suffering because he was convicted of a crime. Okay, well, whatever. But if you've got a disease, you can't expect a man to not ask for help. Whether you want to give it or not is up to you. If he had died of the disease in custody, it's still negligent. It's still because they're in care of him, so they have to take care. But even if he had just died of that, then make that argument. But you can't make that argument because he didn't die of the disease he had. He died of being maced to death. So if you're not on the side of right on this, you're on the side of wrong. If you're not on the side of this guy and, you, and you're not on the side of these people being brought up on criminal charges because they lied on the report they created. If you're not on the side of pursuing criminal charges against the people involved in these cases, then just accept that you are wrong. Just accept that. You can't be right in these kind of situations. You just you cannot be right if you don't want to see these people prosecuted for criminal charges because what they're doing Is killing people and breaking constitutional laws. Our country's nothing if we don't have a constitution, isn't it? I mean, what what is it? If we don't follow the constitution, what do we have? You cannot torture people. Plain and simple. Cruel and unusual punishment. Eighth Amendment. You cannot do this type of thing. This is not something you just lose your rights because you ended up incarcerated. It doesn't say that. The 13th Amendment says when you're incarcerated, you could be made a slave. And people have successfully sued for their constitutional rights to be respected while incarcerated. There's legal precedent set. This is not some, well, we need to do something new. This is we need to start following the law. You cannot murder people in prisons. You can't just do it. In five years, it does not take to investigate it. The inspectors found evidence that con, uh, corrections officers and others had submitted fabricated reports to the Florida Department of Law Enforcement, which investigated the death. We can't do it alone. We need some oversight, said Olm. The organized crime, the murders, the assaults, the victimization that goes on there every day is horrendous. Ohm, who was told in September that he was being transferred and getting a pay cut, was subsequently reinstated, but has since faced internal affairs investigations. This is, how, how obvious does it have to be? Share the podcast with people. Get the information out. If I'm, if I'm just preaching to the choir and everybody that hears this believes and understands and agrees and all that, okay, well, I'm not fussing at you. Yes, I'm, I'm a little agitated because innocent people are being victimized. These inspectors have a job. And these are some of the people that actually do have integrity. So we're not talking about the criminals right now. We're not talking about the convicts right now. We're not talking about the slaves. These are the people that have integrity, that are doing the job. These are not the Jeffrey Rortas who've been fired from the job. These are not the Tom Jacksons, the yes men who just listen to the criminal City controllers that say just do more crime to get more money. and No, these are the people that have the integrity and have the soul intact to do the right thing and report on crime that's going on behind these prison bars and criminal activity that is going on and being carried out against these captives. And this is what they do to them. Now they're going to turn around and investigate him. You can't investigate the murder of people. For five years it takes you. You still got nothing. Dear Rainey died in 2012. You got nothing. This guy puts up a report. You got the internal affairs investigating him. What the hell for? More ranting when we come back. More and more of this story when we come back about what's going on in Florida. You're listening to the Abolitionist Daily. This is Johan and Elia. We'll be right back. for an awakening radio on the black talk radio network speaking in behalf of black talk media project's 2015 fundraiser since 2008 the black talk media project which has created black talk radio network has engaged in producing original content from a black perspective for the global black community you can help us continue this mission and help us even more by giving donations to the Black Talk Media Project 2015 fundraiser and asking others to do so also, let us work together to make 2015 a stronger year for independent black media. Again, this is Elliot Booker of Time for Awakening Radio Program on the Black Talk Radio And we are back. This is the Abolitionist Daily. This is Johan and Elia. The number is 712 775 Seven zero three five access code is three six seven five two six pound. You hit star six and then one, and you will be on the air with us. We went to the break discussing the uh, situation in Florida, the much maligned Florida Department of Corrections, where we have discussed uh, at, at some length and with a relatively deep investigation thanks to our contacts who are on the ground in Florida, actually uh, involved in these hearings and actually um, down there, you know, with experience in, in a professional capacity, working in these prisons. So, you know, this is not just a situation of hearsay and, and ranting about what I don't know about and what I haven't, you know, heard from these people's mouths personally. And now we have this Miami Herald report from the uh, under oath testimony of the office, uh, of the inspector general, these employees, three current, one former who went before the Senate, uh, criminal justice committee chaired by Senator Greg Evers. So this is all official. Went under oath and told him what was going on. And when we left off, we were talking about, um, one individual who, uh, Spoke up and was immediately disparaged, uh, John Ohm. And he was saying that it's just too much for them to deal with. They, they can't listen to the instruction of their bosses who are telling them to leave it alone. They, they, they can't. Nothing's happening. And they, it's just too criminal. It's too horrendous. You can't unsee what you're seeing. And if nobody else is going to say about it, these people are in a position where basically they're willing to martyr themselves to get the truth out. And that's what we're up against with these enemies that we're facing. This is not a game. This is not something lighthearted or part-time that you can do or have a kind of a casual interest in. This is none of those things. It's just not that simple. What we're dealing with is something you have to have, a passion within yourself for righteousness, number one, for justice, for the truth. Once you tie into, tap into your personal passion for the truth, then you will become more and more prepared as you learn the truth and you keep hearing the truth over and over again and you keep hearing these situations pop up all over the country and you see no criminality charged and you see nobody getting in any kind of trouble, nobody answers to these deaths and these murders that they're causing, nobody answers to the torture, nobody answers to the rape, nobody answers to enslavement, and pretty soon you're being tied into and tapping into your passion for the truth will elevate your consciousness and your commitment to a level where hopefully you will resolve yourself, stiffen your back, push out your chest and shut back your shoulders. Say, Damn it. I'm willing to die for this to stop. Because honestly, people, any level of conviction be, below that is not going to get anything done. And you're just going to be getting entertained by this, by this conversation. You're just going to be thinking you're watching some movie that's going to have some dramatic ending, but you don't have to pay the cost. You pay the ticket price and get some popcorn so you can watch the entertainment. It's some kind of sadistic enjoyment level that you need to think about. You, you must be getting from this. Because when they're killing people, then that means you may have to die to stop them. I can't lie to you. I can't put it. Some kind of crazy way to make it feel okay for you. They're not going to stop. They're killing people. They're making billions of dollars. They're in control. They have authority. They're running state, faci- state operations, state facilities. They got state positions. They got elected positions. They got corporate connections and corporate positions. They're protected by the laws. They're protected by their unions. They're protected by their tanks and their guns. And what you got right now is a comfy seat in a darkened movie theater and a bucket of popcorn and watching the show. What you're going to have to get is a righteous indignation that says, I'm going to blow the whistle, too. I'm going to tell about this, too. I'm going to see what I can do. I'm going to get involved. And you're going to have to make a stink big enough to where they're going to start looking at you, too. Because if they take their own employees, and what I'm about to continue in this report and tell you what they do to their own employees, what do you think they're going to do to you? And you just got to be ready to face it, because not doing it is not going to make it better. So when we left off before the break, we were talking about how now, uh, Mr. Ulmer's face was facing internal affairs investigations for doing his job. Department of Corrections Secretary Julie Jones dismissed the inspector's testimony, saying... Jeez. It didn't take her long to get on board, did it? Damn, you're the fourth damn inspector in four, in four years. The seventh in eight years. I guess she don't want to be the, (laughs) I guess she doesn't want to be the next one out. I don't, how do you, I'm just going to read it. How do, how does she say that this is, we, what he's saying is lying? The evidence of the truth is there. The man is dead. They maced him to death. How can he say that they maced him to death? Just because the coroner's never given a report? Because see, that's something else going on in Florida. The coroner's not even filing reports on these people's causes of death. It's another way of blocking the truth from coming out. Another way from stalling the system from moving forward. Another way of hiding. The coroner should be brought up on criminal charges at this point. Send all of them to prison. What the hell is going on? How do you have a man dead in your custody for five years and the, the coroner's report doesn't come out and tell the truth so the, the inspector, so the secretary of the department of corrections cannot disparage this man's testimony? But he can, she can do that because there's no coroner's report. His cause of death is still undetermined by the state. Jeez. She says that it just represents one view of several incidents that happened years ago. Damn, so now it happened years ago. (laughs) Man, that happened years ago. Just let it go. We don't want to talk about that. Now, we got new people we're killing. We need to cover those stories. That happened way before my time. It's just one view of several incidents that happened years ago. That is what Julie Jones has to say, the former Fish and Game head honcho, chief enforcer of the fishing license of the state of Florida. The one catching people killing alligators out of season. The Fish and Game administrator, the one that is dealing with the python, the domestic python pets that have taken over the Everglades down there. She got out of that job and went to being the highway traffic safety head person in charge. So I guess they, what, saw a drop in the, in the incidents of traffic accidents or, I mean, what what the hell does that job have to do with becoming the head of the Florida Department of Corrections? Oh, I know. You're able to turn your head and blow off people's deaths, murders. And just say it happened years ago, so we just gotta move on. We just why are we worried about this? This happened years ago. Says while well, she said that the cases the inspectors testified about when appropriate, they were presented to the state attorney's office for prosecution. But the inspector said that was not the case. Gulf County Sheriff Mike Harrison, a former DOC inspector, said that during the two years he worked in the Inspector General's office, he was told twice not to pursue cases, despite his belief that they could result in criminal charges. See, he was a sheriff. I think he's a law, I think he's an inspector, I think he's a a law enforcement officer. I think he's got sense enough to know when the law's been broken. Told him to back off two times. In one case, he said upper-level management told him not to bring allegations to a state attorney regarding a warden An assistant warden at Calhoun Correctional Institution suspected of intimidating a witness in a case involving contraband being smuggled into the facility. In another case, at Jackson Correctional Institution alleged medical neglect by a nurse resulted in two inmates almost losing their lives, but the charges were covered up, Harrison said. Sheriff Harrison said, based on a relationship that the warden was having with the nurse. I don't know how it could get much worse. I was scanning my mind right there in that brief moment of silence thinking, like, how could it get any worse? But I couldn't come up with anything. In an interview with the Herald Times last week, Jones asserted that employees making the claims about cover-ups are exceeding their authority. Trying to function as if they're Florida Department of Law Enforcement investigators. We have a problem with certain individuals in the IG's office that want to be FDLE agents, she said. They're not FDLE agents. They're not trained to be criminal investigators to delve into corruption and the individuals that we've hired could be qualified to be criminal investigators, but that's just not their role. I don't have time to to pick this apart. I'm just going to report it to you because we still got two other stories that I, I want to at least give you a, an overview of them and give you the information that did. You, you just have to be able to see this for yourself. I don't know. I don't know. This is your new Department of Corrections secretary. This is what she brings to the table. I don't believe it. It's just his opinion. No, it's fact. I don't care. It was years ago. Wow, it's somebody's murder. These people aren't qualified. Well, maybe they are qualified, because I don't want to go saying we got unqualified people as inspectors in the inspector general office. I don't want to say that. They're qualified. But the thing is, it's just not their job. So they shouldn't even be talking about this. This is not their, this is not you know, come on, do your job, which is not to be an investigator with the Florida Department of Law Enforcement. If we want to investigate these murders, we'll use those guys who, of course, operate off of the reports that you send to them. Oh, my God. I I, I can't even believe it. And I'm reading it. And I know it's a fact. and I And I can't get my head around it. The family of an inmate who died under suspicious circumstances in 2013 said too many prisoners are dying or filing abuse grievances to dismiss the current testimony as random gripes of a few frustrated investigators. These investigators can no longer be silent. Somebody has to stand up. Somebody has to tell the truth, said Naomi Washington. Whatever wrongs the people have done, they're not going to get away with it because God is the final judge. Well, you know what, sister? You don't have to wait till God come and and does anything. You have a legal right to have amends made, to have justice served. And I'm not docking anybody's religion, but you know, enough pie in the sky. Enough you're going to get it in the by and by. No, we're going to get some people lined up and headed with the stripes on and the numbers and, and get them headed toward the sales in the right now. Cause as sure as I'm breathing, I could walk out this door. I could drop this microphone and walk out this door, walk out in the middle of the street and commit any kind of petty little whatever crime. And I'll be in jail by this afternoon. It's not going to take them five years. Hell, Jamie Powell took two energy drinks out of a cooler in, in St. Louis, Missouri said walked out the front door of the store set him on the curb and stood there and waited for the police who he knew were going to arrive and kill him it didn't take them five years to determine he had broken the law and even though the law he broke does not have the death penalty associated with it that's what he was given so see these people enforce the law when they get ready to enforce the law against people that have no defense against their terrorist attacks Washington's brother, Jerry Washington of Fort Lauderdale, died in 2013 at Santa Rosa Correctional Institution shortly after he wrote his family a letter telling them that his life was being threatened by corrections officers. She suspects that her brother, whose death was attributed to a drug overdose, was poisoned by the staff. Senate Committee Chairman Greg Evers said Tuesday's testimony may have been the panel's last chance to air out the agency's problems during the two-month legislative session. He suggested that Jones and Beasley's office were dragging their feet. In promises to reform the agency. It may be time for a special legislative committee to be assembled to further investigate the claims of these employees. Evers reminded his colleagues that Jones had pledged the week before that if anyone from her department wanted to appear before them, which we reported here, those employees would not be punished for their testimony. In recent months, she had ordered inspectors and others to sign confidentiality agreements, though which prohibit them from talking about their cases under threat of losing their jobs. Apparently, we can stumble across more than what the investigations have found in the past few years by just asking the questions of the right people ever said after the hearing, yes, we have a crisis. Julie Jones acknowledged that the agency has been chronically underfunded and understaffed, but has repeatedly defended Beasley, the head of the the, uh, inspector general's office, who was hired by the chief inspector general, but reports to the DOC secretary. So see, he reports to her. The unprecedented testimony came amid a series of reports on the suspicious deaths of inmates and in a public outcry by civil rights groups over the treatment of mentally ill prisoners. Inspector Aubrey land said that while there are untold numbers of good corrections officers in the prison system, here we go with the good cops. What the hell are the good ones doing while these bad ones are killing up everybody and screwing the staff. Don't tell me about good when there's nothing but bad prevailing. See, I know there's good people in the home I live in because my home is not permeated by evil. So I don't have to tell anybody, I got good kids here. I got good family here. Because there ain't no crap going on here. I don't have to tell you in your home that there's good people there. Because what's going on in your house is not criminal and evil. People are dying and being raped and abused. And so you don't have to make any point of telling us because it's evident in and of itself. But you got to come out and remind people that there's good cops when the whole system looks like a big giant turd. You got to come out and tell people, well, let me remind you, there's good corrections officers in the system and we don't want to forget about yeah i do want to forget about them because they ain't did a damn thing to stop what's going on and they go to work every single day i can't get inside the prison to go investigate anything that's against the rules you can't go in there and see it you can't report you can't find out state senator had to sneak up on him and go in there and even he's facing pushback on how to Get the information out. How is there good people and they want to hide? How is there good officers that have been knowing about these murders and they know the story of these people? See, we're not talking about child rapists getting their comeuppance. We're not talking about molesters and and bank robbers and whatever the hell kind of person you think is a bad person that deserves to be murdered. That's a real mature out of you. But we're not talking about them. We're talking about people that had minor drug possession, mentally ill people, Darren Rainey. We're talking about people that were convicted of false check charges. Randall Jordan Aparo, with pre-existing medical conditions that do require medical treatment. And we're talking about these people being murdered. So I don't believe that there's any good corrections officers until they prove otherwise. You can't be any good and you're at work and you hear about this happening if you didn't participate and then you don't do anything about it. We shouldn't have to have Julie Jones giving people an affidavit to sign that says she promises they won't be fired if they go out and tell the truth about what's going on. That shouldn't even be anything in the realm of of reality in the world we live in. The good corrections officers. Should have already blown this out. The good corrections officers ought to kick somebody's ass. It's doing what's happening. That's what should be happening. If you really want to know how I feel, catch him in the parking lot on the way home from work one evening. Hey man, I heard what you did to that 17 year old kid. Yeah, he ain't gonna make it. He's, he's, uh, he's dead. Let me talk to you about that right quick. And then whatever happens is what happens. Since these people are so tough, they like to pick on people who are handcuffed and shackled, and got medical problems and mental health issues. They don't even—they're out their minds. They don't even know who they are and where they are. And you—you shackle—you shackle them up and put them inside locked showers and boil them to death while they scream and beg for their lives for a couple of hours, and the meat falls off their bones. Yeah, the good officers. We'll catch one of them guys. Hey, man, you want to you have a word with me here after work? But I guess I'm probably radical. I'm, you know, I must be crazy or something. There ain't no way in hell. You ain't doing that to, on my watch. Sorry, buddy. The good officers that had the bad ones in check real quick, if they were any good. They're probably having dinner with these guys. They probably go over to their house. Yeah, man, that's just work, you know. That guy, he didn't really do anything. He didn't deserve to die. Uh, Eh, you know, it's just work. Let's have a beer and just try to forget it. I'll put this link up. This is another one. I mean, this is two stories I got four that I wanted to tell you, and I got two that I, I can't even get through. I can't stop ranting. I can't quit going on and on. It's just insane. And we'll go through our weekend and if we're not careful the news narrative will still be something that's not the truth. Something that has nothing to do with helping us fix these problems. It'll be a bunch of freaking crap these people come up with and create more division and create more problems and get more sheep to acquiesce. Lay down and give in and just go with the flow and don't worry about it so You got to help me. You got to spread this information. You know, you got to push this stuff out. These these podcasts are not so I can hear myself talk. I'm trying to give the information and give you the links and and work with you to spread information. You've got to share this. We've got to get this out to the public. The people need to know who their neighbors are. The people need to know who their officials are, who their elected people are, who their city council members are, who their judges are. The people need to know. Who has the sword in their hand and is coming against the people? I'm just the watchman. All I can do is stand on the wall and blow the horn and warn you of what's coming. Warn you of who is killing you. I don't know how much time I got in this position. I don't I don't know. I'm going to keep doing it. So, I mean, I don't know. I already realized I got to be on the radar to do this. I'm willing to sacrifice because I want change. I know what kind of country I come from. I know the legacy these people have of not just killing the messenger. But sending that pain on down through the generations, I know what I'm putting over my own children's head to dare to say something about what we are dealing with in this country. But I also know what I'm doing to my family if I don't. It just comes down to that every day. I've said it before. I have nothing else. If I I don't do it, what am I giving my kids? I'd like to have more children, believe it or not. I'd love to to, to have, I mean, I love kids. I love to be a dad. I love to raise them and teach them and show them. But it's to a point I wonder, what am I sending them into? Yes, there's a lot of good stories and a lot of great success stories in America. There's a lot of room for people to make money and be individuals and become mass consumers. There's not a whole lot of room for people to do righteous things and create a righteous, sustainable environment for us to live in, societies based on sustainable, healthy practices. There's not a whole lot of room for that, and you can't argue that. Yeah, you can get degrees, and you can get money, and you can make connections, and you can get money, and you can kiss ass and get money, and you can talk crazy and get money and get fame and get popular and buy stuff and that's really all that road leads to that's really all we can give people is the ability to get stuff to buy materials perishing things but what room do we really have to encourage life to build societies that are sustainable and healthy and based on truth and righteousness and build people up and encourage mental health And encourage emotional health and spiritual health and physical health. See, when you get real about that type of thing, then you stop playing around with, I'm going to get a Benz, I got a Benz, I must be happy. I'm going to get some new clothes, I'm going to get some new this, I'm going to go here, I'm going to do this. Oh, I got my degrees, I'm a cruise, I'm going to my... Suddenly that stuff seems as ridiculous as it is. So that's why I'm here. You, you learn more about me with every program. I, because it just draws into me so deep. I gotta just tell you what I'm here for so I know what you're here for and we can be sure we're on the right page. Because right now, I wonder sometimes, what do people really want? What, what do you want? What are you waking up for every day? What are you doing if you're just going to be blind to what's going on? Two states, Florida, Missouri, two hours of nothing but corruption. And these are not anomalies. One is an entire state Department of Corrections. The other is a city in a state where it's not even the worst, and the numbers are off the chain for how bad it is. We also mentioned New York. Off the chain, how bad it is. They've got a similar situation going on with investigators and whistleblowers and people trying to tell the truth about what's happening in Rikers, and they're all disappearing. Just like the guilty criminal guards are disappearing that are killing people and beating people and raping people and torturing people. And the officials are disappearing. Waiting on somebody to go to prison. Attica. Three guards on their way to prison. The first time in the history of the state of New York, corrections officers are facing criminal charges for something other than sexual abuse of inmates. The first time in the history of the state that has got to hit you somewhere, that's got to be a body blow that you feel like, damn, the entire time we've had 200 years of prisons, or 150 years or whatever, 160 years of prisons in this state, and nobody ever, it's just like Milwaukee. When 125 years is is an incorporated city and never had a police officer ever found to have done anything wrong in the shooting or killing of a citizen. These kind of things need to be like wake-up calls for you. Because there's no way all the people that die over the years, everybody's wrong. Everybody that ever said that they're off their line. It's got to mean something to you. I got about two seconds here to, to tell you about the unexplainable black death profile, Terrence Shern. I will share this to uh, to the page also, so you can see his story. Terrence Shern, 28, was pursued into Benton Harbor by police from nearby Benton Township at speeds of up to 100 miles per hour. He died instantly when his motorcycle slammed into an abandoned home. He was being pulled over for running a stop sign. The focus quickly became upon the police brutality, racism, and economic devastation that characterizes the town of Benton Harbor, which has 12,000 people and is 95% African Americans. And there are several links, and I'll share a few with you, but the feds have been all over Benton Harbor for years for corruption. Indicted by the FBI time and again for corruption. Narcotics corruption. Police abuses. Police killing people. Stealing, lying, falsifying reports. We got another type of Ferguson. So how many reports are going to come out? We talked about on the new abolitionist radio program Wednesday night. There's 21 cities currently under Department of Justice investigation for similar similar offenses as what were found and reported on in Ferguson. This is your America. The sooner you get involved and bring 10 people with you, the sooner you can have it back. From the bastards that are running This has been the Abolitionist Daily. Thank you for joining us. Joe Matthias, signing off from the Black Talk Radio Network. Have a good weekend. Peace to the Abolitionists and to the non-violence. non-violence. in the face of the violence that we've been uh, experiencing for the past 400 years is actually doing our people a disservice. In fact, it's a crime. It's a crime. Here come the drums!